0: Welcome to This Week in Telno Digital, episode 5. Uh, I'm your host, Bjorn Remsødt, and here I have my co-host, uh, Oysund Simman. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back. Happy new year. Yeah, happy new year to, to yeah. you, too. Great. And we're very happy to have a guest here today. It's uh, Julie Ngai. Was that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was good enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. we had some pronunciation <laughs> exercises before the yeah. podcast. Make sure we got it right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, Julie um, works on privacy. She's uh, from Group Privacy, where she's a privacy advisor. Is that
1: right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Huh? It's a pretty boring title. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not no, a, no, not no a we'll boring do. area. It's going <laughs> to
2: be a big area going forward. So. Yeah, it is a yeah. big area.
1: I need a kick-ass title. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah and so, she's working exclusively, I think, for Telno Digital. At least there's nobody else in Telno Digital working exclusively on privacy, that I know for sure.
1: Yeah, so primarily in Telno Digital, but I also work on some other stuff in group.
0: Yeah, Yeah. okay. Mm. Um, so, uh, here in this week in Telno Digital, we usually ask our guests a little bit about how they got into the studio, and then how they got into the company, and yeah.
2: how they got... F- into Norway, where, like, yeah. what, you know, what, yeah. how did you end up here? <laughs>
1: Okay. So that's a very common question I get. Um, I was born and grew up in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So everyone was like, Are you from Digi? I'm like, no. So uh, I actually never knew that Digi was partly owned by Telenor. Oh, oh wow. Until I joined Telenor. Okay. Until I started in Telenor. Um, so I went and studied and worked in Melbourne for seven years. Hmm. And then. Has, has the accent or? I, yeah
0: yes. well, the first well, time I heard you you sounded so Australian
1: I know yeah. oh yeah, it's are, a yeah. curse yeah. it's a curse I was uh, yeah I, I wish I have the British accent I think that's much better <laughs> well I don't, uh, and
2: I, I don't know what did you study in London? Yeah.
1: I, I have a law background okay. so I did law okay I worked there in um, I actually worked with the local regulator
2: uh, in privacy of the regulator of telecoms or no no, no uh, or privacy regulator oh, okay yeah
1: so um, in
2: Malaysia or Australia in Australia in Australia yeah
1: yeah and okay. then I worked for PwC in internal audits in privacy mm-hmm. as well before coming here okay yeah
2: and did you come from Australia yeah oh wow
1: yeah it was I went from <laughs> one part <laughs> yeah. I went from one part of the world to the other
2: yeah I mean uh, yeah. yeah so did you get two summers
0: or two winters the same year
1: well I did get two summer
0: oh. That's but then
1: winter came in Norway, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so, it was like, so there was enough winter, I think, yeah. for a lifetime.
2: Yeah. But we haven't had any snow yet. Yeah, you yeah, haven't seen anything yet, really. I <laughs> know,
1: but it's so cold. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it's, oh, it's not exactly bright sunshine, even with it, the cold. Exactly. Yeah, this isn't cold. I mean, no. the air isn't freezing in your nostrils. That's yeah, so you cold. can't throw water outside, it freezes automatically. Yeah, then, you know. then it's cold. Then it's cold. Yeah. The
1: day yeah. where it was negative 16, I felt like my face was going to fall off. <laughs>
0: It was so cool. That doesn't happen until 56, I think. Yeah, 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 exactly, Anyway, so um, after you started working with us over in uh, Terminal Digital, how do you feel your popularity has evolved?
1: (laughs) I I think I'm super popular, like a pop star. Everyone comes up to me like, give me your autograph. No. Um, So it's uh, very interesting because um, I think some teams are really appreciative like literally coming up to me and say, I'm so glad you're here. We have so many questions about data and what we can do with data, et cetera. And we needed someone to tell us what to do. And then there are also other people who are just like seeing me coming in the front door and run away from the back door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> so no. it's been a very mixed uh, reception, but, um, it, but it's been really, really good. I mean, people are just super nice. So I'm very happy to be able to work with Telemode Digital. I think it's a privilege.
0: Yeah. Cool. So I just told you something. So you took your law um, education in Australia, and you work in Australia, yeah. and now you're working here. And those are two different countries, two different yeah Uh, everything basically when it comes to legal issues yeah but still you can work on privacy yeah so is that the similar thing all across the globe or how is that
1: um so it's very different in a sense where there are nuances in different laws in different jurisdictions but principally privacy is very much the same because they all came like the origin of it came from the OECD guideline Mm -hmm. so all the laws actually developed after off the back of the OECD guideline but of course like the EU privacy law is actually quite complex so the first, basically. Can
2: I ask? You're a lawyer, and I, I <laughs> often like this, uh, to ask this question because in Australia and Britain, yeah, uh, they have a common law system, which means that uh, laws are very quite uh, well
1: consistent.
2: Yeah, and yeah. Now in Germany and the EU, proxy mm-hmm. Germany, uh, they like to codify things. Yeah, and I'm wondering if this EU regulation is this a strong exercise in codification, or is it more? Like where does it lie on the the spectrum because now you're in...
1: So the EU privacy law is basically like the most stringent privacy law in the history of privacy law. Okay. Basically, nobody knows where it's going or nobody knows how to do it. And because I'm a lawyer, we're very good at Googling. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, So if you ask me something, I'm like, oh, yeah, just give me a second. Oh yeah, this is the answer to your question. Huh. But we, I mean, we we are, we are all trained to do mm-hmm. that. We are trained to basically absorb different laws and try to translate that into the business requirements. Mm-hmm. So basically, I'm also learning in this process as well. And when the teams come up to me, I'm like, I'm not the privacy god. I don't have all the quest- answers to your questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: but it must be difficult uh, as well with the thing not quite formed yet, and it's
1: absolutely. Tricky, yeah. And I think this is a problem communicating with engineers. Because for engineers, it's almost like it's either 1 or 0. And it's either A or B. You have to tell me what you want. And I'm like, you can either do 1 or you can do 2 or you can go for option 3. Uh, I'd like to um, challenge that? Yeah, others. I would, yeah. yeah.
0: Because what we really want is to uh, take whatever, mm-hmm. I mean, technical other types of constraints, and then try to translate them into something which can be observable. Yeah. So it I mean, if you have a spectrum of observables, that's fine, then mm. you just select one. Yeah. But uh, uh, it, it cannot be wishy washy because when we when we make things, they are observable. And yeah. if we don't get direct advice that we can make observable, well, the advice isn't useful. Because yeah. our job is to make observable things for end users. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. So I think that's a challenge because basically nobody knows exactly what to do. So I am working a lot with kind of like different teams trying out different things and see what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, One of my questions is always uh, when it comes to a product, especially if you're building something either new or that hasn't uh, something nascent, and you're sitting there and you've got this sort of problem the user sort of subconsciously cares about privacy Mm -hmm. but consciously wants to get things done make things quick Mm -hmm. doesn't want friction i want to see like what's your view on that like where do you sit where do you draw that line
1: yeah so um i also get that question a lot because people are like well they're sharing everything on facebook and social media anyway so why do we want to care about that and i think it at the moment, there's a lot of talks about actually giving the users the conscious choice because if they want to choose functionality over privacy, for instance, if you want to use Snapchat or Facebook, they consciously make that choice that I'm giving them this right over my data. But I think what we should avoid doing is making those choices <coughs> for the users and uh, taking away the control from them. I think uh, that's what we want to avoid. Hmm. And I think there's a lot of sorry, misconceptions about what uh, informed consent is. For instance, people that don't know privacy would say that we can't do that without consent. And consent is asking them to sign the terms and conditions. So that's all going to change now um, oh, yeah? after the EU privacy can law. You, can
2: you tell us a little bit about that?
1: So basically, I think comes May 2018, you will start seeing that all these different services that, that you're using, they are going to be asking your consent in a different manner. So even if you say, I don't want to give you this data, Unless this data is absolutely necessary for the service to function, they cannot reject or not let you use, for instance, the app. So that's going to be a challenge because a lot of free apps are out there on the market. They, they, they don't charge you money, but they sell your data or make money out of your data. Um, but after this law comes into effect, they can't do that anymore. So they are going to have to find new ways to generate revenue. And you will see, you will start seeing this change in how consent is getting obtained.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Do we have any, uh, if you like, um, examples of how that is going to look a year from now?
1: So, um, Olga Marie and the Data Insights team are developing the privacy dashboard. And the whole idea about the privacy dashboard is to be able to do that. Basically, the users can uh, go into this dashboard and choose what they want to consent to and what they don't want to. So, Hmm. that would be what... uh, for instance, the Google dashboard as well, and Facebook—they are trying to come up with things like this. Yeah.
0: Okay, um, but there's no universal design for uh, for how these dashboards are going to be. It's no. still uh, right, no, right?
2: Emerging. everyone is uh, and, basically and,
1: and, yeah developing and one.
2: And what a developer might have to reveal or not reveal, but the level of control they needs to give users mm-hmm. is probably not defined yet either.
1: Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So,
2: this is going to be probably an exercise in. Uh, or the cynic could say that the, uh, this is going to be an exercise in uh, the EU or whoever ends up being the privacy regulator, um, maybe it's national ones, simply suing various companies to figure out where the law, like yeah. where the line is. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: there's a lot of questions about like, who are they going to pick? Yeah. And I think uh, if I'm the regulator, I'll pick the big fish in the pond. Yeah. Right. I will find- <laughs> yeah. 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 You pick uh, a couple of big ones who have yeah. a lot of like a very deep pocket, and then you start examining what kind of solutions, what yeah. kind of privacy solutions um, they're providing the users.
2: Yeah. And, and if you doubt that, uh, you could just look at the way the EU, for instance, went straight to the Irish government and Apple, um, yeah, and decided re- to yeah? literally pick on them. As a very, I mean, they could have picked a multitude of companies, right? But that was a very high headline uh, case. And I think they, that you know, they don't I'll have resources. Please, please
0: remind uh, our listeners yes, about okay. that case, yeah.
2: So essentially, Apple have been for many years uh, using um, a, what's called tax, uh, it's not tax evasion, it's tax avoidance scheme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that means they root money, the Irish subsidiary, uh, essentially, um, is uh, making all the profits and all the other apple entities around the world are making losses so the only profits are reported in ireland and they're channeled in a certain way to make the profits the taxable profits very yeah. low right. and that money never goes back to the us it right. sits in, a f- in the marina islands so now you just shop
0: p- domains wherever they accepting. you, you minimize yeah. cost yeah. and open okay. so so profit yeah
2: uh, so the eu was saying okay it's ridiculous that you sell iphones in germany and then the germans making a l- the german entity making a loss that shouldn't be the case and anyway they chose to get back to the story they chose to target that operation as yeah. opposed to the multitude of operations they could have tackled right. Right. Yeah. absolutely to make a point and i think this is sort of my thinking is in this case that because they have a They've, the Germans, especially, have had a view on privacy that's been very different to the other countries' privacy mm. views. Right. And I think they may well use this as a well, another actually, maybe use this legislation as a test.
1: Very test. interestingly, um, Angela Merkel actually openly uh, came. Angela,
2: Angela.
0: Merkel, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, she She actually, it's my Australian accent.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just need and to pronounce it. Yeah.
1: She um, openly called for a um, softer approach to implementing the EU privacy law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was saying that let's not let this hinder big data initiatives Mm -hmm. because there are so many ways where you can interpret this law that can almost just kill innovation.
2: I I think she... And that's a really interesting point because in Germany, there is a... essentially a philosophical fight going on between people uh on the one hand who are very extreme privacy mm. advocates yeah even in the light of the terrorist attack of christmas yeah they were against the principle of installing uh, monitoring cctv monitoring across berlin which yes. still doesn't exist today mm. uh, on the other hand you had the the other side saying well, we need we need to draconian levels of uh, a security apparatus that looks like London's, mm. you know, or the GCHQ. So, uh, and Merkel is very good at standing in the middle of these two factions. That's why she still got her job because yeah. she's very good at settling the situation. But
0: yeah, she she grew up in Eastern Germany. Yeah, she exactly. Knows so too yeah. About surveillance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah.
2: And when it comes to privacy, I guess she has a you know a yeah. firm view too. But yeah, nuance in the sense that it's realist. Yeah.
1: Privacy and securities has always been a very huge debate because there's a lot of talks about like oh there's a terrorist attack so now we have to take away everyone's privacy. But I, I personally I think that as a privacy advocate I don't believe that that's true. I'm very much against um, state surveillances, but I'm very much pro uh, using data in a way that's beneficial for people mm-hmm. because there are so many ways where you can um, have you can make powerful impact based on um, big data research. For instance, we have um, the Ignite team, which is the open data, one of the winning team. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of benefits that can derive from it, and I just absolutely hate people who use privacy as an excuse and say, no, we can't do that.
2: It's all about the way you do it, right?
1: Absolutely, <laughs> it is the way you do it, yeah. and um, there's this idea of data philanthropies, which is if you want to donate your data. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and um, I mean, if you wanted, if you understand that your data can actually help make an, a positive impact for the society. Well, yeah, I mean, I th- there are it.
0: people to do that. I mean, yeah. I, uh, just last year, I heard about uh, I, don't know, I forget the name of the initiative where people just donate their DNA, so so you can have mm-hmm. full sequenced DNAs of. Uh, hundreds and mm-hmm. eventually wow. thousands of people in yeah. the, do mining in this to see, if, for instance, in this population, do you have a predominance of this, that, or the other gene, and they mm. can see if this, that, or the other exactly. uh, disease and or um, yeah. r- drug will have an effect there. Because yeah,
2: that's a really interesting point. Because if you take okay, we could. Go back to Apple, but in a new context, they've developed this health kit S D K yeah. and then a research kit S D K mm-hmm. enabling uh, developers to quickly develop apps and services that would acquire health data. Mm. And that couldn't be more private. I mean, if you think yeah. about something that is private to you and has financial impact, because in the States, if they find out something that they the yeah. insurance company mm. doesn't know, it's very important. So anyway, but they deliberately did do a lot of effort to make mm. sure that it was private to the user and only into the accessible by a certain research group. It's not perfect, but the approach was very different yeah. to let's just sweep all the data we can mm. in a very open fashion and it was an interesting example of a company that clearly did think a little bit about privacy, maybe yeah. because of the law and regulation in the states around mm-hmm. it. Landed, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, a g- interesting example of privacy manifesting itself in a new, uh, in such a way that meant a people, way. Well, yeah. people were really keen and a- eager to give their data.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Because they felt secure. So, so, uh, this leads up to a question
0: that I just thought <laughs> of. Okay, so we have regulators that are in a sense, driving um, uh, the dev- uh, development of privacy dashboards and things of that mm-hmm. nature. And then you have companies that uh, have to comply, but they also have to develop services, uh, b- but they do it in their own little silo, but there are cross cutting concerns uh, that uh, are as valid for us as it is for Ge- Facebook and it mm-hmm. is for Google. And. At some stage probably not this year but at some stage in the perhaps foreseeable future it would make sense to have uh, privacy products mm-hmm. that can be used across uh service providers yeah um and i can think of a few of those i mean the simplest one would pr- perhaps be a common kind of um uh, dashboard yeah but uh can you think of some s- s- products in this direction
1: so actually that's really really interesting that you said that because one thing that we're trying to encourage is innovation Um, we could see that this is an explosive area every company the reason why we don't have a common consent management platform across different services is because every company is kind of like trying to distinguish themselves from other servers based on their consent their dashboard which
0: is reasonable at least uh, and Absolutely reasonable when it's early, early days.
1: But um, uh, of course, like we in uh, in group privacy, and also with our data analytics team, we were talking about a data management platform. And um, Telefonica and Vodafone are also thinking about uh, a similar thing, which means that basically it's almost impossible to have privacy these days. So what we want to do, or what they are thinking about doing, um, based on MIT research as well, is have a space where all your data is, and then you have a custodian who would guide, like become the gatekeeper of who you want to release that data to. For instance, Facebook will need to come to this custodian and say, we want to access your picture. And the custodian would either have based on default setting say that, yes, Facebook, you're on the list, you're whitelisted, you can get access to this. So this kind of um, open data space with a gatekeeper initiative is something that we are looking into But obviously, it's a very experimental. Of course, it
0: it needs to be tried. Mm -hmm. It needs to be a success, and so on and so forth. And it's too early to say what will be a success. But it's
1: a platform. It it also, um, I
2: mean, in the context of uh, privacy, um, uh, and then we didn't talk about it too much, but security. Yeah. And then we have national jurisdictions, which are very, their approach towards privacy and security yeah, are very absolutely. different. Mm. And I can imagine there's going to be serious uh, issues facing countries that are quite distinct from one another, or jurisdictions, simply like take the US, the UK, and yeah, the US. Yeah, and
0: also we just need to get awareness yeah. of it, because I mean, yeah. I don't know what the difference is between the different countries in the EU and Asia. I'll give you, and I'll give South South you a South South really good example
2: yeah. of this, and I think we, uh, the, up until 2012, or 13 I think the Irish the Irish data protection commissioner was one person in a <laughs> shop uh, in a room above uh, yeah. a shop yeah. in Dublin oh. <laughs> because yes that's what it was yeah and Google and Facebook would just get a piece of paper from this guy and that was because of passporting that meant that you were able to operate across the EU wow so you begin to see this the Germans went nuts, right? Uh, about this, and so this is the reason why it's. You said that people need more awareness. This is exactly what's happening, right? And your job then to circle it back nicely is to get, tell us, like, okay, yeah. this is real, and yeah, start. You need to think about it, right? Yeah,
1: I mean, <laughs> I, I used to work for a regulator, so I know how they work, and basically, it sometimes it really does feel like you are in an office. And you have a single person making like the biggest, most influential decisions for the yeah. people and for the companies, but yeah. basically just one person.
2: Yeah. In Ireland, it was a joke. Yeah. Uh, they didn't yeah. put emphasis on it. Well, so.
1: yeah. the thing is, like uh, the, the the EU regulation, the main objective is actually to try to make the laws across the EA consistent. So hopefully mm-hmm. that will kind of eliminate the uncertainties about the...
2: Regulatory arbitrage. Yeah, the differences
1: yeah. in um, yeah. different countries. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, oh uh, I yeah. Mean, that's been really interesting. It's already twenty minutes, so we've yeah. got to wrap up. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. Did. So, uh,
0: thank you, Julie, for.
1: Thank you for coming. having me. Yeah. It's yeah. really great. Self-nominating. Um, <laughs> yeah,
2: uh, that's the best kind of nomination. No, exactly. And uh, we look forward to uh, hearing more from you because this is going to be uh, an emerging area. It's yeah. going to be a huge part of the future. Right. Yeah. So good to know.
1: Yeah. I'm going to win the popularity contest. <laughs> can't digital. promise stuff. <laughs>
0: Okay, so <laughs> right. um, I guess that's it for the episode 5 of um, This Week in Terminal Digital. So thank you for listening. Thank bye you. Thanks, guys. Bye bye.